The following teaching is brought to you by Crosspoint Church. For sermon notes and other resources, visit go to crosspoint.com. Crosspoint, good morning. How are we doing? Good. Hey, I'm excited to see all of you guys here this morning. If you didn't get your Bibles or your phones out, wherever you've got your Bible, make sure you guys get there. Malachi chapter 3 and chapter 4, we're going to be camping out there a lot today, so I want you guys to be ready for that. I'm going to pray over our time together real quick, so if you join me, that would be great. Jesus, thank you so much for every person that's in this room this morning. Lord, I don't know what we've walked in here with, but you do. You know exactly what's going on. Lord, I just ask you would help us to hear your truth, hear your word. Uh, and that we would actually take something away from it, that we wouldn't run from your truth, but that we would push in uh, and accept it, Lord, and trust you for everything that you've done and everything that you've said. Let your word change us, and we just give this time to you. It's in your name. Amen. All right, so listen up. Pay attention. It's hard for me to do that with a straight face. Anyone that knows me, I'm just a goof, but I'm going to try and be serious here. This is what the prophet Malachi is saying to us in this chapter. Listen up. God is using uh, his prophet Malachi to relay some important things to God's people that they need to hear and that we need to hear as well. We have to understand the gravity of what's going on here. And so I want to give you guys some kind of Bible 101 basics right here. So, okay, okay, so if, as you read your Bible, there's some things that you should be paying attention to. Okay, If you see first words... Last words, things that are repeated, exclamation points. You should be paying close attention to all of those things. What's great about this passage, we get all four of those here. Malachi repeats some important truths. And again, those explanation points. He's saying, pay attention. And this is the last thing that he says before God goes off air for 400 years. Not a prophetic word is being said. Malachi's trying to make sure that we get this before he closes the scene. Malachi drops some pretty heavy truth bombs throughout this book. If you've been with us the last four weeks, you've seen some of that. You've heard some of that, right? Some things that are a little uh, difficult and bothersome to hear, right? And if, if you're like me, what Josh just read for us, I don't really like that that much. That's a hard thing to read. Uh, Something that we say here a lot, if you haven't been bothered by the Bible, it means you're not reading it enough. If you haven't been bothered by the Bible, it means that you haven't read it enough. Because guess what? There's There's some difficult things that God has to say to us. God will challenge the way that we feel. He will challenge the way that we think. And he will challenge the way that we behave. There are some difficult things for us. On your note sheet, there's going to be some fill-in-the-blanks for you this morning. You can fill in the first one right now. It'll pop up on screen for you guys. And it's that sometimes God's truth is bothersome but necessary. We have to understand that, that sometimes God's truth is bothersome but necessary. Okay? The Bible should bother us. God's truth is offensive in reality. It's completely countercultural to everything that you and I know. It goes against every bit of logic. It goes against the way that we were raised. But I want to challenge you this morning, all of you, no matter if you've been coming to Crosspoint or to church for a long time, or if this is your first time walking through the doors, if your friend dragged you here this morning, these bothersome and difficult truths are important for each and every one of us. So I want to challenge you this morning. 
Don't run away from that. Because our natural inclination as human beings is to run away from the things that bother us, the things that make us uncomfortable. I don't want to hear that. But I want to challenge you this morning not to do that. Let's push in. Let's see why God is saying these things. And again, repeating very specific things. He's saying them for a reason. And so... I said that God's truth is offensive, right? It's countercultural, right? So the, what culture paints to us, the, the, the image that it paints for us is that your truth is what matters, right? We've heard that a lot the last few years. Your truth is all that matters, right? And so if something goes against the way you feel, if something makes you uncomfortable, what culture says is that it's invalid and it's unworthy of being followed, right? If it challenges you, convicts you, it shouldn't be something that you need to worry about. But the, the, the problem with this idea of your truth is that if truth varies based on your and my opinion of it, then it's not really truth at all, right? Truth has to be static. It can't move. It has to be unchangeable. It can't change based on how you and I feel about it. I love the way that uh, Tim Keller says this in his book, The Reason for God. I'm not going to put this quote on screen because it's a long one, so just listen to me. But if you want to check that out, the book is amazing. It's called The Reason for God by Tim Keller. And this is what Tim has to say about this. Now, what happens if you eliminate anything from the Bible that offends your sensibility and crosses your will? If you pick and choose what you want to believe and reject the rest, how will you ever have a God who can contradict you? You won't. You'll have a God essentially of your own making and not a God with whom you can have relationship and genuine interaction with. Only if your God can say things that outrage you and make you struggle, as in a real friendship or marriage, will you know that you have gotten a hold of the real God and not a figment of your imagination. So an authoritative Bible is not the enemy of a personal relationship with God. It is the precondition for it. Man, I love that quote so much. That should challenge us. That should help us to push in in the things that bother us, church. It's important for us to recognize. And so what I want to do with you this morning as you're here, I want to explore some of these hard truths that Malachi lists out for us and some other important ones, again, that I think are critical for each of us, whether you've been here for a long time or if it's your first time. These truths are important for each of us. And so I want to read Matthew, or sorry, not Matthew, Malachi chapter 4, so you guys can hop there with me. We're going to start in verse 1 there, Malachi chapter 4, verse 1. I want to continue and see how Malachi wraps this thing up. Starting in verse 1, the Lord of heaven's army says, the day of judgment is coming, burning like a furnace. On that day, the arrogant and the wicked will be burned up like straw. They will be consumed, roots, branches, and all. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. And you will go free, leaping with joy like calves led out to pasture. On the day when I act, you will tread upon the wicked as if they were dust under your feet, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Remember to obey the law of Moses, my servant, all the decrees and regulations that I gave him on Mount Sinai for all of Israel. Look, I am sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. Maybe it's my personality, or maybe it's the fact that I'm just a little bit tired of the chaos and confusion that I think we find ourselves in in culture day in and day out. 
but I just appreciate how straightforward God is with us. He's pretty dang clear when it comes to what the truth is. And it's fascinating. When you compare Christianity to various world religions, um, you'll start to recognize something. And quick disclaimer, I am not bashing anybody or any of their beliefs by telling you what I'm about to tell you. I've simply made some observations that I want to share with you that I feel like are helpful for us as we read scripture, okay? So two examples of this. Um, Buddhism, okay? What Buddhists, uh, try, the, the ultimate goal is to escape this endless, vicious cycle of suffering and reincarnation. Suffering and reincarnation, right? And the way to do that is to achieve this state called nirvana. If you've heard of nirvana, you might not be familiar, but it's not really clear on how to get there. There's really no clear pathway to do it. Sure, there's various things that you can do and try to get there. That's why Buddhists will meditate. They will try and do good things to try and reach this state. But basically what they say is, you'll figure it out when you get there. You'll know you've achieved nirvana once you get there. All right? And so another example, Scientology. Scientologists, there's different tiers that you kind of progress through in Scientology, right? The OT, they're called OT levels. So OT level one, two, three, all the way to eight. And as you progress through these um, levels, you have to do certain things, obviously, and then you have to pay a certain amount of money to reach the next tier. What's interesting is once you get to the next tier, once you feel like you've accomplished what you need to accomplish, they kind of pull a gotcha on you when you get to the next one. They go, ah, you thought that you had achieved this, but actually you missed something. You now have to do this. And it continues throughout the tiers. The more money you pay and the more things you do. And there's so much ambiguity inside of that. And I, I, I tell you those two examples today, church, to, to relay to you that the God of the Bible is very clear with us. He lays everything out on the table for us to either accept or reject. He doesn't beat around the bush. He wants to make sure that we know what his truth is. And so as we go back to Malachi chapter 4 here, when I read this, if we're reading this, and if I'm operating off of what Malachi just said, he said, remember to obey the laws of Moses, right? If I want these things, remember to obey the laws of Moses. So I'm going, okay, I just need to make sure I remember to follow all of God's laws and I'm good, right? Well, you can try. Or you can read about how God's people have tried to do that for a millennium and you can see how far that got them. When they tried to do things on their own, when they tried to achieve things, when they tried to do the right things, you can see how far that got them. And for us today, any of us that have tried that, trying to do it on our own, we've seen where that's gotten us. You can see what the Bible makes pretty clear, Crosspoint, for any of you that aren't really familiar with how we do things, with what the Bible has to say, the Bible makes clear is that God says, you can't do it, right? So what Malachi is telling us here, these are the things you need to do. We have to realize that we actually can't do it. We can't do it by ourselves. And God knew that we couldn't do it, so he did it for us. He did it through the life, death, and resurrection of his son, Jesus, who gave up his life, was hung on a cross, and paid the penalty for your sin and for my sin from yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and settled our debt with God so that you and I would never have to. And then he says that if you would choose to, what the Bible says, if you would choose to accept that and believe that and turn away from your rebellion and your sin and actually follow God, and not just to like check off a box of like, okay, I did it, I remembered to follow the laws, but no, to follow him in a way that that grace that he offers through Jesus actually changes you in a way that makes you want to follow him. 
because you recognize that his ways are just so much better than yours. It's almost like you can't help but follow his laws. Well, when that's the case, then everything that Malachi talks about here, this promise of hope, this promise of joy, this promise of freedom, is made fully available to you. And so again, God has made things pretty clear for us. He's told us what we need to know. And it's on the table for you to accept or reject, and he's left the choice up to you. Do you want to trust in these truths? And so the first hard truth that you guys can write down here on your note sheet would be the next fill in the blank. The first hard truth is this. You can't do it alone. You can't do it alone. And some of you might be like, that's not a hard truth. I like that. But in reality, this is really hard because I don't think some of us like that fact. I want to be able to do it on my own. Because again, this is how we're raised. From the moment that we come out of the womb, everything is transactional, right? Everything is earned. Nothing, my dad always said, nothing's gonna, nothing comes free, right? He said, nothing comes free except for death and taxes. Or he said, there's two guarantees, death and taxes in life. I'll always remember that. But everything is transactional. Even in relationships, we say these things like, relationships are a two-way street, right? You get out what you put in, right? You want money, you got to work for it. God defies all of that logic for us. He says you can't do it. There's nothing that you could bring to the table that would satisfy God's glorious standard for your life. And so that's a hard truth, church, because that means you have to surrender control. That means you have to surrender how you feel. That means you have to surrender to somebody else to say, I can't do it. And that's hard because we tend to be a little prideful, if you're like me, right? And so that's the first important truth for us. And it's not complicated, church. There's no hoops that we have to jump through. There's no list of things that you and I need to do to achieve the salvation. There's no gotchas that God's going to pull on you. It's pretty clear. And it's what, Romans, it's what Paul talks about in Romans chapter 3. I want to read it for you guys. It's so good. After Paul says this pretty uh, stark thing, he says, No one is righteous, not even one. All have turned away from God. Everyone. So he's, he's lopping us all in the same boat here. And then he says, in verse, uh, tw- starting in verse 20, he says, For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. I want to say that one more time. It's important, church. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. What Paul's saying here is, It's not about what you can do for Jesus. It's about what he did for you. And that is the first truth that you have to accept, church. It's the first truth that we have to accept. And the second truth that we need to address here that Malachi brings up is this. It's God's judgment. Again, something that he repeats twice. Malachi chapter 3, Malachi chapter 4, this idea comes up again. So remember, pay attention to that. If he's saying something twice, it means we need to listen up. God's judgment. I don't know how you feel about that initially, but I'd rather just avoid that topic altogether, wouldn't you? I don't really like to think about that much. But again, I challenged you, let's not do that today. Let's push in. Why is God saying this? What do we need to know? What do we need to hear? Why is this important? And so I'd argue 
that when you and I initially think of God's judgment, we feel as if we don't deserve it. Would you guys agree? Like, I'm not that bad. I mean, come on, Justin. I'm not as bad as some people com- as compared to some people in my life. Like, look at them. I'm a pretty good person. You've probably said that or you've heard people say that. I'm a pretty good person. Why would God judge me? So that's the first part of the argument. The second part that I'd argue is that, but when somebody hurts or wrongs us, we sure want God to judge them, right? It's ironic, isn't it? We don't feel like we deserve God's judgment, but man, we want his judgment on those that have hurt or wronged us. Um, A few years ago, Netflix put out this special on Ted Bundy and the heinous crimes that Ted Bundy had committed, all the murders that he had committed, and um, towards the end of that series, it was fascinating. Uh, The day of his execution, outside of the perimeter of the prison, all kinds of people showed up to be there for this day. And I mean, it was like a tailgate party outside the prison. People are getting wasted, people are hooting and hollering, they're grilling on their tailgates, like, celebrating the fact that this man was about to die that day. And I remember sitting there watching this going, wow, here's this man that has done all of these terrible things. And here are all these people now celebrating his death. It was so bizarre to me. And it, it just made me realize how ironic this idea is. But, but a truth that I think we agree with God's judgment more than we'd like to admit. I think that we agree with God's judgment more than we'd like to initially admit. And this is especially important because if you're even remotely familiar with the story of God's people and the Israelites in the Bible, the exodus out of Egypt, uh, the exodus out of slavery in Egypt, their exiles in Babylon, they had a great number of enemies, and so you know that they really needed to hear this message. They really needed to hear this, but not just them, because I think many of us in the room need to hear this today as well. And it's the second hard truth on your note sheet, you can write this down, is that God will take care of business. God will take care of business. This second hard truth is important for us today because I think many of, I know, many of us in this room have been deeply hurt and deeply wounded by some wicked people in our lives. And when that's happened, I think we ask this question like, God, do you even care? Do you even see what I've been through? Did you see what that person done to me? I'm holding on to these things from 10 years ago. God, are you doing anything about this? Are you going to do anything about this? And what you need to know today, church, is that God is good and that he is just. And he will take care of business. He knows exactly what wicked people have put you through. He knows exactly how you're feeling. He knows what you've been through. And what Malachi told us here in chapter 3, he said that he's eager to witness against those people on your behalf. What a promise that is. What a hope that is for us. And think about it, right? So if you've been a victim of a crime, right, and you knew that there was a witness that was going to testify on your behalf and they had 100% and you had 100% certainty that the evidence of their testimony would make sure that justice was carried through for that person wouldn't it make it a little bit easier to find some hope and solace in that like okay it doesn't change what i've been through it doesn't change how i'm feeling right now it doesn't change what that person did but things are going to be taken care of 
That's what God is telling us here, church. He's going to take care of business one day. And so what that means for us, and the reason this is a hard truth, is that means that you and I have to leave some things in God's hands. That means that we don't carry out justice, or we don't carry out judgment. God does. And realizing that he will do it a lot better than you and I will. So much better than you and I will. He is good, and he is just, and he will take care of business. And I know that that's, this, this idea is really easy for someone standing up on stage to tell you and be like, yeah, but you actually don't know what I've been through, Justin. That's a really hard thing to do. Can I just level with you for a minute, church? I'm talking about, like, the evil that you didn't know existed until you went through it. Anyone been there where you're like, I didn't even realize that people could be that cruel? I didn't realize that someone could affect me in that way? Anyone been there? Yeah, it's rough. And so I want you to know I level with you, and this is a very difficult thing. That's why I said it's a hard truth. It's not an easy thing to do. It's not an easy thing to leave judgment in God's hands. But he's promised it here. He repeated it twice. He wants us to know that he will take care of business on our behalf. So those are the hard truths, church, that we need to hold fast to. We need to make sure that these things are our foundation, that regardless of your background, regardless of your experience, these are some important things that we need to hold on to. And so as Malachi wraps up here in chapter 4, God goes off air for 400 years. Again, there's not a prophetic word that's said during this time. And people's last words are incredibly important. When you think about someone's first words and their last words, what you need to realize is those are usually some pretty powerful things and we should pay attention. And the last thing that Malachi is telling the people here is this. Someone is coming, so get ready. Someone is coming, so get ready for it, right? And what, what's, what's great about the time that you and I live in here in 2023, church, is that we don't have to wonder about who that person is. We've already seen the fulfillment of this prophecy, right? His name was Jesus, and he came to redeem and restore the broken world from their sin and rescue us from our sin. That's what his name meant, Jesus, that he would save the people from their sins, right? But that's not all, because the Bible also tells us that he's coming back again one day, that he's coming back to completely restore what was broken, right? And I would love to stand up here and tell you more about that today, but I'd encourage you to even go check out our Revelation series that Pastor Steve did a few months ago. It was incredible to learn more about what that looks like when Jesus is coming back. But what I want to do with the rest of our time here this morning is help you realize that this this challenge that Malachi gives the people still exists for us. Someone is coming, so get ready. And so my question for us that I want to break apart with you now is, how do we get ready and how do we stay ready for when he comes back? Because this is the time that we find ourselves in. So how do we get ready and stay ready? Well, the first thing is this. The first thing we have to realize is that you need a solid foundation of truth. And we've already talked a lot about that, so you're good. You've already got that, right? We have a solid foundation of truth. We need to place our faith in Jesus. It's what Paul said in Romans. We are made right in God's sight by placing our faith in Jesus. That has to be our foundation. Nothing else can be at the bottom. That has to be our foundation. 
And for some of you builders, you like that analogy. You're like, yes, foundations are important. You can't build anything if you don't have a foundation. And Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 7. I want to read it for you. You guys can flip there if you'd like. It's Matthew chapter 7, um, verse 24. This is what Jesus says. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. And I love this idea that Jesus is telling us here. Where are you building your foundation? But see, it doesn't just stop there of where you've built it because if you've built anything, you know that you can't just walk away from that. You know that when there's a foundation set in place that you have to check on it, right? And if you don't, some things, some pretty nasty things can happen with that foundation. I've, I've had plenty of friends that have had things happen under their foundation, right? My wife and I are currently going through some septic tank issues, which really suck, but they're helping us realize that when things go left unchecked and unnoticed, a lot of problems and damage can occur down the line, right? And so the same applies to us here, church. When you've placed your foundation down, you need to make sure that you're checking on it. You need to make sure that you're doing something about it to make sure that it stays good. And this is how we get ready and stay ready. And so some of the ways that we do this, this will be the, the first thing you can write down there on your note sheet towards the bottom, is by practicing repentance. How do we get ready and stay ready? By practicing repentance, right? When Malachi wraps up, he says that a prophet is going to come. He's going to prepare the way before the Lord, right? And so we saw this kind of partial fulfillment of this when Jesus comes on scene, before Jesus comes on scene. John the Baptist, that name ring a bell for anybody, right? This was John the Baptist. He came and prepared the way before the Lord. And so if you've read that story, you know that. And this is what John the Baptist has to say in Matthew chapter 3 before Jesus arrives as he's preparing the way. I want to read it for you. Matthew chapter 3 starting in verse 1. It says, In those days... John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching. His message was, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. His message was, repent of your sins and turn to God. Repent of your sins and turn to God. And so, what's the first way that we get ready and stay ready? Is that we have to, we do this by practicing repentance. And some of you have probably heard that word. I want to make sure that we all understand what that actually means. Okay, so repentance. It's changing your mind. It's changing your mind about something. So for us, what that means is it's, it's I'm changing my mind about my sin. I'm changing my mind about my rebellion against God. A way that we've effectively kind of talked about this here, it's this idea of turning away from sin. It's like doing a U-turn. So I'm going this way, I'm going toward my sin, away from God, and if I'm practicing repentance, I'm turning away from that and I'm walking toward God. This is repentance. And I say practicing repentance because it requires practice. Repentance is a very difficult thing because that means you have to own up. And I don't know about you, that's hard to do, right? Sometimes it's easier not to do that. Sometimes it's easier to save, uh, save my reputation and save face. I don't like owning up for certain things. That's a difficult thing to do. And so repentance requires practice. And so what this looks like is it's, it's God, where am I falling short? 
Where am I missing? Where am I falling short of your commands? Where am I missing your desire and your design for my life? Where can I be better? What am I doing wrong? It's what this looks like. It's it's having some self-awareness to kind of see where am I at? What am I missing? And I'd love to give you more of an explanation of what repentance looks like, but I don't feel like I have to. I'd love to encourage you to actually open up your Bibles and read about it. This week as you go home, check out Psalm 51. Some of you are familiar with that psalm. It's a psalm of repentance. What Charles Sturgeon dubbed it, it was the sinner's guide. He calls Psalm 51 the sinner's guide. Why? Because it's the guide for us of how we practice repentance. And how King David uh, writes in that chapter spells it out so well for us. It's a psalm that I read every time I slip up. Every time I've missed the mark, every time I've missed God's commands, it's a psalm that I have to go back to because it's such a good reminder for me of how to practice repentance, and I encourage you to do that this week. The other thing about repentance that we need to recognize, it's not a one-time thing. It's not something you do when you come to church for the first time and you're like, oh my gosh, yes, Jesus, I accept you, I want to follow you, I repent for my sins. Okay, we're good. No, it's something that you have to do daily. It's something that you have to do often. It's not something that's a one-time thing, church. You have to practice repentance all the time. And it's a way that you check on your foundation to make sure that things are good. That you're following God. And the second way that I think we get ready and stay ready it's the second thing here you can write down on your note sheet is by fighting complacency and apathy. Fighting complacency and apathy. The way I look at these two different words, okay, complacency, apathy, complacency is this. It's a lack of concern. Ah, I don't care. It's all good. I'm pretty comfortable here. I'm not worried about that. We'll cross that bridge when we get there, right? It's complacency. Apathy is lack of desire. I just don't care. I don't want to. I don't want to follow God. I don't want to go to church. I don't want to read my Bible. I don't want to pray. I don't care. And so we have to proactively fight against these two things, complacency and apathy in our life. And I think the first and most important way that we fight against these things, church, don't miss this, please, is by recognizing our need for God. It's by recognizing your need for God. I told you at the beginning of the message some things that you should be on on the lookout for as you read your Bible. First words were one of those. When someone comes on the scene and they share their first words, it's like a pregame speech from coach, right? Those are things you want to pay attention to. And I want to read to you what Jesus says when he first comes on scene. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5. If you're familiar with it, this is the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus' first public sermon after he comes on scene. So Jesus has a lot that he wants to say. This is the first time that he's preaching to a crowd. And the first words that come out of his mouth are this in verse 3. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. He says, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Some other, translate, uh, some other translations will read, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Because the thing is, Jesus isn't talking about money here. He's not talking about how much wealth you have. It's far deeper than that. 
It's do you recognize how much and how desperately you need God? Do you recognize that? And I don't know about you, church, that's really hard when I wake up in the morning and I have a pantry full of food and a fridge full of food and I have subscriptions. That's a really hard thing to do when we live in wine country Temecula. It's a really hard thing to recognize my need for God. Anybody wake up this morning and feel like they really needed Jesus? I didn't. I'll be honest with you. Why? Why would I need him? I have everything that I could possibly need. And so what we have to do, church, is we have to be able to see past all of that. We have to be able to see past what's in front of us and recognize our need for God. God, I am broken and I need you. I am desperate for the sacrifice that you made for me. I can't go a day without you. This is something that we have to practice. We have to recognize our need for him. The second way that we fight complacency and apathy is by, well, it's showing up here. It's what you guys are doing right now. It's by sitting in this room when you could be doing 18 other things, right, on a beautiful Sunday morning, but you chose to be here. It's important, but also what's important is realizing that your attendance here isn't going to be enough. Your attendance on a Sunday or a Saturday night or coming to youth group on a Tuesday night, students, is not going to be enough to check up on your foundation. And I urge you to be careful if you feel like it is. I urge you to be very careful if you feel like your attendance is going to be enough because it's not. And and, and this idea comes from scripture, you guys. The Bible doesn't talk about your attendance in church. You realize that, right? But what God does talk about, what Jesus talks about in John chapter 15, he, he says this idea of remain in me, abide in me. Abide in me and I will abide in you. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus is constantly honing in on that. Constantly trying to help us realize, stay close to me. Don't depart from me. Remain in me. Remain in me. Why? Because church is awesome, but your week's going to be really difficult at home. And if you're not staying close to him, if you're not reading, if you're not praying, if you're not intentionally learning more about him, learning more about how to follow him, learning tips and tricks about how to, be, how to deal with certain things in your life, then it's going to be really hard to navigate some of the things that you're going to deal with. And it's walking away from that foundation a little bit, where we check up on it maybe once a week. Again, I urge you to be careful if you feel like your attendance is enough. This is something that we, we, we urge you guys to do all the time when we talk about getting involved in small groups. We say, join a group, join a group. We don't just preach, you, preach that at you because we want to. We preach that at you because it's important. It's important for you to have a platoon of people around you. It's important for you to have people that are watching your back, that can encourage you and lift you up, that can challenge you, that can help remind you of who God is and what he's done when you're struggling and when you're hurting. People that can give you resources and tools and all these things that small groups do, it's so important that you have that church because God didn't create you to live life alone. He didn't create you to do it alone and he didn't create you to live life alone. He created you to be in community with other believers that can do these things for you. How wonderful it is to have somebody in your life that can say, that can see areas of your foundation that you might be missing and say, hey, let's go check on that. Let me help you with that. Man, how wonderful that is. 
this is important too. One of the thing, something one of our pastors said this week as we talked about this is that you need people in your life that are going to push you off the crazy train, not jump on it with you, right? You need people that are going to that have your best interest in mind, church, that care deeply about you. And that's what small groups do here. If you have questions about that, write that down on your connection card. Check out our website. We've got openings for groups. We'd love to get you plugged in so that you can have this platoon of people around you. I encourage you to do that. Another, way, another thing that I thought about uh, of this, of fighting complacency and apathy, is this idea of like counseling, right? When we think about counseling, I've heard far too many people say, like, I don't need counseling. But then they get counseling once things break, right? So one thing that I didn't mention I wanted to share with you, before I came on staff at Crosspoint uh, two years ago, I was active duty Navy for six years. And one of my primary jobs out of like a thousand different things that I did, but one of my primary jobs was supervising and scheduling maintenance for all of our weapons and ammunition and everything that goes boom on board the ship, right? That was my job, making sure that those things stay uh, healthy, right? Making sure that equipment is lubricated, greased, all that stuff. And two, two, the two types of maintenance that we do are called preventive maintenance and corrective maintenance, right? And so the thing about these two types of maintenance, preventive maintenance prevents things from breaking, right? Corrective maintenance is maintenance that you do once something already breaks, okay? Two things about preventive maintenance. It's a lot easier than corrective maintenance. And if you do your preventive maintenance, most likely, you'll avoid having to do corrective maintenance. And I thought about how this idea of maintenance kind of applies here when we're checking on our foundation. It, it's not waiting until something breaks to do something about it, church. So this idea of like counseling, for example, right? It's what Pastor Rob talked about us last week, where he has couples that come in for premarital counseling. You realize how beneficial that is? Nothing's broken. I want to get some tools and resources to make sure that I'm good for when things do come up, right? My wife and I will revisit some of those tips and tricks often to make sure that our communication is, is, is in a good place, right? To make sure that we, we're uh, reminding each other of our boundaries and, and things that we need to be careful of and certain triggers, right? Those things are so important. And, and even personal counseling, right? Not just for marriages, but even in your life personally, I know some of your stories, and I know that you've been through a lot, like a lot, a lot. And so it's getting counsel from people that can help you work through some of that stuff, where counseling is not for crazy people, right? I just need you to realize that. I, I hope that most of you do. Counseling is not for crazy people, and it's not something that you just need once something falls apart. It should be something that you're doing to make sure. It's what Pastor Steve told us, told us as we talked about this. It's you see a little fire on the stove. Instead of being like, oh, it's just a little bit. Make sure you put that fire up before it catches to the curtains in the rest of the house. Like, do something about it before things break. The preventive maintenance will be far easier than doing corrective maintenance. Far easier. Another way that we fight this... Uh, an example that came to mind was I had a friend a few years ago that was talking to me and said, Justin, I just feel like I don't see God doing anything in my life. I feel like he's not moving. I feel like I'm praying and he's not answering prayers. I just, I feel like I'm missing him. What's going on? What's going on? And as we talked about that, realized that really he wasn't pushing in. He wasn't really doing anything about his faith. He wasn't serving. He wasn't involved, right? And one of, the, one of my favorite things to tell people is this. You want to see what God's doing? Then be a part of it. That's your challenge. You want to see what God's doing? Jump in on a team and be a part of it. 
one of the best ways that you can boost your faith and gain some momentum and motivation is to actively be a part of what God's doing in this valley, in this church, internationally, being a part of our missions, being a part of outreach, being a part of these things so that you can see what God is actually doing. It's an incredible way that we fight complacency and apathy is being a part of God's team. Something that we, we've talked about in the past is that when you, when you choose to follow Jesus, there is no bench anymore. There is no second string. There is no third string. He's calling you to get in the game. He's calling you to be a part of his team and what he's doing because he wants to show you those things, but also because it's good for you. It's just going to make things better when you jump in, when you serve. What serving does for you is incredible, and I would love to challenge you. Again, on your connection cards that Josh talked to you about, the back side there, we have all the teams that we have available for you guys to jump in on. If you're not really sure where you're good at, just try it. You want to see what God's doing? Be a part of it. The last thing that I wanted to share with you guys, this idea is realizing that, and I hear this from people, from Christians far too much, it, it's realizing that it's not just hope for heaven one day. It's not just doing these things because one day I'll be able to go to heaven. One day eternity is going to be great. Life sucks now, but eternity is going to be great. No, it's, it's realizing that Jesus has so much in store for you here, not just in heaven one day, church. It, it, it's what Malachi was just talking about here in chapter 4, this idea of like the freedom and joy that calves experience when they're led out to pasture. It's that he has something for you now. And not just like yesterday, like the glory days when you sit and you're like, oh, 10 years ago, God was moving in incredible ways, right? Steve said something like people are still caught up in like the 1970s, right? And they're just, they're not even aware of what God's doing now, what he's doing in your life right now, or what he has in store tomorrow. Are you keeping your eyes open for what God's trying to do now? Realizing that it's not just hope for heaven one day, but it's the best life now. It's what Jesus said in John 10.10. He said that I have come to give them life and life abundantly. Not just salvation one day, but life now, church. He has so much to offer you. Our worship team is going to make their way up here in, in a second. And as people are moving around here on stage, I want to just ask that you stay with me for a minute. There's a few more things that I want to wrap up with you. I think as we talk about this idea of making sure that our foundation stays in check, right, that we're checking on it, that we're doing these things, it's very easy for us to get into the mindset of checking off that box again where it becomes more of a, a legalistic and moral duty. Okay, I've done these things. I've done this. I'm making sure that things aren't falling apart. Okay, so I'm going to begrudgingly do these things to make sure that my life doesn't fall apart. And while surely some of this is to make sure that things don't break and you don't have to do a bunch of corrective maintenance on your life, it's not just to avoid things from falling apart, church. It's that it makes things better when you do this. Not just to avoid things falling apart, that it it just makes life better. It makes your faith better. It makes your relationship with God better. You get to experience those things that Malachi talked about. It, it, I appreciated a conversation that I had with someone about this before I spoke. They said, man, this idea of maintenance is just kind of bothering me because I just feel like it's, it's something that you just have to do. You have to do maintenance. And, and the way that she said it was, 
It's like when you get an oil change on your car, for example, right? When you see all that sludge that comes out and you put that new fresh oil in, man, it doesn't just... Uh, it doesn't just prevent your engine from falling apart. It makes your car run better. You get better gas mileage. Everything just works better that way. Your engine craves that. Why? Because it's better. And the same thing has to apply to us, church. That We don't just do these things to check off the box. I want to challenge you with that this week, please. Recognize that we check on this foundation of truth that we have to just make life better. And it's what Malachi said there in chapter 4 again. It's this idea of the calves being led out to pasture and the joy that they experience. We had a video that we were going to play for you, but we couldn't get it loaded up this morning. So I just want to talk to you about this idea. There, there are people that will go and like line up to watch calves be led out to pasture. It's fascinating, right? So we saw this video. There's, there's people all gathered around. They got their cameras out. They're like ready for it, right? And they open the barn doors. And everyone's like hooting and hollering, and the calves, they like step out of the barn, and then all of a sudden they realize what they're walking into, and they just start jumping around and going crazy and hooting, and just, it's fascinating to watch them experience this joy and this freedom that comes from being let out, and that's the promise that's made available to us, Crosspoint. God's laid everything out on the table for you. He says, this is what I have, and when you accept this truth, this is what's in store for you. It's a better life now. It's hope, it's joy, it's freedom. It's better than anything that you could achieve on your own. It's best when Jesus just offers it to you and you accept it. If you have questions about what that looks like, guys, this relationship that we talk about with Jesus, what he did for you, let us know on your connection card. We look at those very seriously every week. We'd love to help you out with that. We'd love to talk to you more about what that looks like. We're gonna take a minute here to sing some songs to Jesus and about Jesus for that sacrifice that he made for us, for your sin and for my sin. And as we sing, I encourage you to visit our four corners of the room to take communion. And it's taking this piece of bread that represents Jesus' body that was sacrificed and bruised and beaten and broken for you. And then we drink this juice that represents the blood that was spilt on that cross, on that cross that solidified the covenant that God made between he and you, that he would never change his mind about you, that he would never change, that that sacrifice that Jesus made was good once for all time. And it's for you to accept. Our prayer team's gonna be hanging out in the back of the house. If you've walked in here carrying a lot this morning, I'd encourage you to talk to them. Sometimes it's easy to just share some things with a stranger that's gonna say, hey, I love you. Let's, let me just pray for you. I invite you to go do that right now. We're going to pray, and we're going to sing some songs to Jesus this morning. Lord, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you again for each person that's in this room right now. I ask my prayer this morning, Lord, is that you would help us to set our foundation on you, on your truths. Lord, and that as we do that, as we, as we set that foundation, that we would recognize all the benefits and joy that come from making sure that it is on you. We love you and we praise you, Jesus. It's in your name. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. For more resources, check out go to crosspoint.com.